This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello this is the red box podcast i'm matt jolly bringing you the best bits of my times radio show don't forget if you are able to you can listen to my show live every monday to friday 10 till 1 on your smart speaker, on your DAB radio, or download the Times Radio app wherever you get your apps from. Uh, you can put it alongside your podcast app if you like, and you can listen back to all the bits of the show, and it's all broken down nice and easy, so you can find everything where you can find the quiz and that sort of thing. If you want to come on and play the quiz, uh, email me with your details, your name and your number, matt.chorley at times.radio, and we'll get you on to play the quiz very soon. Right, coming up on today's episode, yes, it's Wednesday, so it must be PMQs. Except it's DPMQs. No Boris Johnson because he's still in New York. So we'll find out what happened when Dominic Raab went up against Angela Rayner in the battle of who's got the longest, silliest job title, amongst other things. Uh, That's coming up in just a moment. But first, as ever, it's our columnist panel. It's Wednesday, so it must be Crampon, that's Robert Crampton, and Alice Thompson. Let's talk about um, Insulate Britain, this campaign group... I only discovered, actually, what they want today. It is quite straightforward. They think we should insulate our homes, which is a perfectly you know, reasonable demand to make. But they keep blocking the M25 uh, for, for the fifth day in a row yesterday. They've, they, I think there's now been a court ruling that they can uh, take action uh, against them. Um, this was, let's take a listen to, this was uh, Ed Davey, the Lib Dem leader, uh, talking about what they've been up to on Times Radio Breakfast this morning. Well, it's absolutely the wrong way to go about it. I'm afraid, I think it's some of the worst climate campaigning I've seen because you're you're turning people away from a cause. We should be bringing people together, and I think lots of people do recognise we've got to act on climate change. Uh, so that was uh, Ed Davy this morning. Um, Alice, what do you think about these uh, protesters? Um, because uh, they they say we're highlighting the very important issue of climate change. There have been so many stories now about people, you know, missing hospital appointments. The terrible story of the woman who'd had a stroke and was stuck in a car for six hours. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? Insulate Britain sounds incredibly quaint and very 1970s, like everything else at the moment. So you think, oh, great, yes, let's get our loft done. But actually, it's far worse than a lot of the others because it is causing all this absolute misery. And I have to say that if you were the first car that was stuck there, you would be going completely nuts. And there's some great footage of police just trying to clear these people and then they run back again. And then it's a never-ending loop of them running round and round and round. And in the end, you're amazed that no-one yet has been run over. Well, that's why I can't sort of... I can't really understand how they've managed to do it. They, they, I mean, just these idiots running out, running out into a motorway at seventy miles an at hour. At seventy miles yeah. an hour, 
and hoping that what they all slow down enough. And, and they then, have. And then the traffic all backs up. But wouldn't you, if you saw them running out, your temptation to put your foot on the accelerator so you can just get past them in time, otherwise that's three hours. Oh, I thought life. you were going to say just to run them over. No, I'm not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Robert, what, what, what do you make of this? In the fact, and the fact that the, the, the Department of Transport this morning have got this injunction uh, from... Um, uh, is it from the High Court? But saying that they'll yeah. be able to take tougher punishment against them because uh, uh, they'll be found to be in contempt of court and could be detained as a result. Yeah, and then that means that they can possibly have a jail sentence, which they they don't qualify for at the moment. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a it's an absolute textbook case in how to you know lose friends and alienate people, isn't it? It's. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago when it's, the pre-pandemic, when Extinction Rebellion blocked London Bridge near the Times office, and it was in, a huge inconvenience to a lot of people. But the, the interesting thing was that a lot of people there, these sort of city commuters. We're, we're, we're very supportive of their aims, and as, as I think most people are. I mean, the argument is one uh, on on uh, climate change. Uh, the the government is, is set down immensely ambitious uh, uh, targets to try to uh, reduce it, and these people are just kind of going about the business of squandering all the goodwill that they had uh, and being you know dangerous to themselves and others into the bargain. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a classic case of, a, of, of, a, of a, a leftish group kind of not knowing when it's won and, and, and its tactics just alienating people. I suppose that's the thing, Alice, when, uh, when the issue is... I mean, I just don't, can't imagine how, any, how they think any government will think Oh, yeah, they keep blocking the M25 and being a real pain. I'll tell you what we should do. Put more money into insulating lofts. Like the two, the two things sort of don't yeah. go together. Well, Hugo did a great column actually about the the complications and the difficulties about and what you're supposed to do or not do. You know, do you use scooters? Do you use cars? Do you get rid of the diesel? You know, it's it's so before this COP26, we're going to have to work out actually what we think we should be doing, or shouldn't? Because none of us quite know. I mean, like our bags for life, which you now will have thousands and thousands of these bags for life, and you feel really guilty, don't you? Because you're never quite sure what you're supposed to be doing. You know, you take your water around. Actually, I now have a disposable coffee cup, which I normally don't do, but you're trying really hard as Robert said everyone's trying we're all going in the same direction but we just don't know quite what we're supposed to be doing we kind of need a list of what's the most important rather than this blockade of you know anti everything's anti we need some positive what we need to be doing next and that's what and that's what these activists could be doing I mean given that they're so concerned which I applaud and given that they presumably well informed about it they could be taking a lead in that I mean the like I say the argument is one it's a question of how we of how we get there and this is not how we get there I've had some interesting research over the weekend where they were talking about, you know, the, the communications and basically exactly that, and it's how you get people to take the action which makes a big difference. And the concern amongst some that people think, oh, well, I've got a lot of bags for life and I'm lugging the reusable coffee cup around. I've done my bit. And actually the stuff, that, the really big stuff that is going to make the difference, which is, the, which is well, I'm just trying to remember what they were now when Allegra Stratton was on the other day, was cash, coal and cars. Yeah. And actually, the single biggest thing which happened for climate change this week is not some people running around on the motorway. It's Joe Biden doubling the amount of money that they're going to give yeah, to developing exactly. countries. Yeah, and uh, also we've got the Chinese not using coal. I mean, that's what that's the big issue is the, what countries are doing. But I think if we pressurise them by doing smaller things and saying, look, we're doing our bit, it does help. I mean, Allegra hasn't helped in some ways. I think she has such bonkers ideas of what you should be doing, like sort of, you know, how you stack the washing machine. 
that that that's not in the end the issue. The issue is trying to get big changes. I thought it was great that our submarines actually aren't going to be diesel. Yeah. The French have diesel, but we don't. You know. Oh, that's a, that's, that's progress. A, yeah. So that's obviously. I mean, that probably makes a difference. <laughs> or also, don't go on cruises. I mean, that's the kind of thing we just don't know. But cruises. Those ships take up huge amounts. Well, don't say that. I'm supposed to be going on one next year. Yeah, well, don't. Don't. I'm going to stop you, yeah. What's the times on it? I think I'm contracted. <laughs> Often with these, with these issues, it's a question of, of, of doing something spectacular to get public attention focused on them. But th- that is not the case here because the, the, the government's already uh, doing its damnedest to try to get, these, uh, to, to get the, the emissions down. So this is... This is something that, that that might have happened kind of forty years ago, but now it's just it's absurd. The arguments move move way beyond this, and it is weird because there's still this sort of perception, which is perpetuated by actually by the left, that Britain is terrible on all this stuff. You know, yeah, we're, we're really not. dragging our feet. We actually, there was a chart partly because of what's been going on with gas this week. But there was a chart I saw this morning on a, in a Times story showing that the the huge drop in coal in the last five years, the shift yeah. towards uh, renewables, wind. Uh, nuclear, you know that that has been that is a result of policy decisions taken years and years ago. But actually, our, our record on this is 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 actually pretty good. Um, and all those pe- all those people on the M25, they'll be doing what Alice says. They'll be scratching their heads and try to trying to reduce their plastic use, and their kids will be on at them about it. And you know, it's not like something that people haven't thought about. That may have been the case forty years ago, but that's just not the case now. But if we're not worrying about uh, our plastic use, we're worrying about our, what we're eating, Alice, which is what you've written about in your column today. Well, actually, this ties in because, in fact, what we eat is really, really important. Mm. But if we don't start supporting farmers eating British, then it is going to be quite difficult because it's actually dangerous. You know, the environment, we are now, we, our food miles are just extraordinary now. And we are 60% self-sufficient at the moment. Ireland is 90% self-sufficient. A lot of the other countries are much, much higher up the scale than we are. And I think the CO2 crisis that we're having at the moment just shows how precarious our supply lines are, particularly from abroad, that we need to become more self-sufficient, which would also help the environment. Um, what about how, how much do you think about the environmental, uh, environmental impact of what you eat, Robert? Uh, a reasonable amount, probably as much as anybody else. I think more <laughs> of it's, I think about it, you know, its impact on my waistline, which is... Uh, which is clearly what needs to happen. We all need to eat less and 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 pay more for it. I, I, I saw a stat that said in the 1950s, 35% of, our, of the average household income was spent on food, and now it's about 8%. Food's just got too cheap, and uh, meat in particular has got too cheap. So we need to just eat less of it, and pay more for it, higher quality. And that will probably mean it being uh, sourced locally. I'm amazed that Ireland's got 90% sufficiency given its climate. Its climate's even worse than ours. <laughs> Actually, it's even better. So we have a really, really good climate for food. Apart yeah. from the exotics, the sort of pineapples, actually we can, you know, we're importing most of our pears, but we can grow pears here. We've got, you know, we don't yeah. have to then use water. So, you know, if you go to Spain, they're using vast amounts of water to grow everything. We don't need to. We rain yeah. here, you know. It's just... Do you think it's one of those things isn't it, where, where uh, the the sort of by British message mm. it was quite a big? I think it was, it was Hillary Benn. I think sort of, sort of did a lot of that stuff when he was involved. Yeah. It's not really a big thing we get out of 
the, the, the government now, Alice. No, well, Liz Truss, do you remember she tried with cheeses? Do you remember yeah. that was her great cheese moment? She was ridiculed. It was a good point she yeah. made. But she was, because actually the whole point is if we can, then we can cut the air miles down. Yeah. And also, you then you need to say to farmers that we don't just want you to be custodians of the countryside, which is what they're going to be asked to be now, is to look after hedgerows, to have you know more rewilding. That's fine, but we need to get them to produce the food as well. And they want to. Farmers like producing food. They like actually doing something that they think is incredibly worthwhile and gives, gives them a sort of point and, a, and, and just tending to the hedgerows and we are, it's not enough for them actually so a lot of them will leave if they feel that they can't actually produce food themselves again a bit like the the, uh, the climate change this feels like an argument where the public is is, is well on board i mean you see stickers uh every and the union there's a union jack sticker on most things in in the, in the supermarket isn't there saying this is all british sourced and locally sourced and obviously that's considered a selling point by uh, shops, large and small. So I think the public are behind, uh, you know, not, not necessarily for xenophobic reasons, but because they understand the arguments yeah, about yeah, yeah. locally sourced food. All the, every so often, um, some slightly tedious left-wing person on Twitter will take a photo of butter with Union Jacks on or mm. punnets of strawberries and, go, and and get completely outraged about the fact that the British flag... You're right, Robert. It's just a selling point, isn't it, to say yeah. the thing you're buying is British, which means it's being produced here, which actually has a massive environmental impact yeah. rather than... If you, go in, if you go into so-called Middle England, which I've been doing the last few... few just happened to have spent the last few weekends in the countryside, you go to the massive... Uh, Farm shops, which are no, it's a quaint name, but it's actually how a lot of people in the countryside get their food now. They're essentially supermarkets. And that's the selling point. And uh, these are not the sort of people who are going to sit down in the front of, on the M25. Uh, they're probably fairly small C conservative people, but they, but they, they get the arguments. And, and now needs, government policy now needs to come into line with what people are already doing. Well, we'll see. Yeah, people just need to stop stop getting cross about the flag on butter. That's my that's well, my yeah, top tip. I know. Um, I know. Go on then. Before I let you go, because I've been asked, we can we can workshop this. I've had an email from uh, T two saying, "Can I come up with a list of mm. the best political documentaries and dramas? Any ideas?" Uh, West Wing. I West Wing. West Wing is always. I, I've watched that about three times. I'm afraid. Yeah, I always Always. Enjoy, uh, it's a load of it's a load of rubbish factually, but I've always enjoyed JFK, and uh, I, I particularly. I love the southern accents and, and primary colours for the same reason, you know, with the, the oh Travolta. And what yes, about Minister. The, the, any of the ones that are nice, uh, yeah, actually, the yeah, ones yeah. we don't like are things like House of Cards when just politics looks too nasty and mean and horrific. And what about yeah, documentaries? Can you all think that. of any particular... Cause I've interviewed Michael Cockrell for the show tomorrow. Well, and obviously that's what, his. All of his. <laughs> all of his. I think All the President's Men is really, doesn't bear re-watching either. It's really boring. <laughs> yeah, the all deadly those, ones. All, all those serious journalists doing, doing great work. Yeah, yeah I still it. think you can't beat Yes Minister. There's something yes, about it. Isn't it? That, yes, that's, that's the one you've got to go for, I have to say, just because it's the yeah. civil service. It's the most boring thing you could possibly write about. We still <laughs> laugh about it. And they still no, write it, yeah. And, and somebody said it's a handbook for British government and it still pays, still pays uh, re-watching. Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson, then, of course, you can read them in The Times every week. Just get yourself a digital subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's PMQ's Unpacked. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yes, he's back. He's not been with us for some time because obviously we had the summer and he's been off for the past couple of weeks. And Tim Shipman's chosen to come back to the edition of PMQ's uh, where it's the B team who are playing. I'm very excited. <laughs> Sorry, that my voice didn't sound very excited. But this is a showdown, Matt, between Dominic Raab, a man who has just been demoted by his boss, and Angela Rayner, a woman who wants to demote her boss. So we'll see how they get on. Who do you think might get the upper hand? Because they've both been... I mean, it, uh, there's a joke for someone to make about uh, reshuffles and job titles, because obviously it was back in the... Spring. It was after the the by election that um, Keir Starmer carried out a, a job a reshuffle, uh, in which he tried to sack Angela Rayner. She ended up with a very long job title. Well, both of them had thrown a hissy fit and ended up as the as the deputy, um, having dug in and said, "I must be. Um, if you're going to take away my actual job, you must give me a very nice title." And in Rayner's case, many, many, many titles. They'll both be desperate to show that they're better at this than the boss, won't they? Um, and Rab will be punctilious and precise and Rayner will have some good language um, and duff him up a bit um, and I suspect if she can wind him up um, and get him doing that thousand yard stare across the dispatch box then uh, she's got every chance of, uh, of giving him some grief today. And what topics do you think might be most grief giving? Uh, well with, I mean if she wanted to go and have a tickler sort of uh, hands in the, the festering wound of Afghanistan she still could um, I mean, I think, you know, the gas crisis is, you know, and the government's handling of that is potential uh, one this week and how they're busy, um, you know, encouraging uh, coal and gas and all that. And how does that contrast with COP, which in a few weeks' time they're going to be telling us to get rid of all the very things that they're yeah, desperately trying minister, to get hold of A now. government minister touring the studio is boasting about how they're going to generate more CO2. So it just feels a bit odd. Right, here we go. Then. We'll go live to the House of Commons. Uh, just to let you know that, once again, most Labour MPs have got their masks on. Most Tory MPs haven't. Rishi Sunak's got his specs on on the front, page, on the front bench. Um, I don't know what that means. They look uh, a bit like NHS ones from the 80s, don't they? quite big, aren't they? Yes. Anyway, let's go live to the House of Commons. This is Angela Rayner. Deputy Leader of the Opposition, Angela Rayner. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. And the Honourable Member makes a very important point that I think across the House people are concerned about that. And I share the Deputy, uh, the deputy Leader's comments regarding the work of the GPs and our local primary care services. But, Mr Speaker, can I begin 
by offering my commiserations to the Prime Minister after he flew away to the US and made absolutely zero progress on the trade deal that he promised us. And can I ask the Deputy Prime Minister, does the Deputy Prime Minister still believe that British workers are amongst the worst idlers in the world? Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, well, can I just say to the Right Honourable Lady, for a start, uh, I think it's excellent news that because of the engagement we've had with the US, uh, they have immediately given us the boost to trade and businesses by reinstating travel from the UK to the US. When it, when it, when it comes to British workers, can I just say to her that we've got payroll employment back to levels we saw before the pandemic. We've got youth employment rising. We've got businesses advertising over a million jobs uh, at a record high and the fastest economic growth in the G7 this year. OK, let's pause. There's quite a lot to un- unpick there. So, Angela Wayne, just sort of swatting away Boris Johnson and the trade deal, uh, just getting the dig in there, uh, and then following it up with this. Uh, so this is a report that came out in 2012 when a young high flyer called Dominic Raab, alongside somebody else called Liz Truss... Who's she? A couple of backbench MPs, uh, they put their names to a report which said too many people in Britain prefer a lie-in to hard work. Uh, Once the end end of the workplace, the British are among the worst idlers idlers in the world. We work among the lowest hours, we retire early, and our productivity is poor. This all, yes, these were the sort of young, thrusting Thatcherites of the period. And don't forget, this was a time when David Cameron and George Osborne were running the show. Austerity was the order of the day. Uh, and telling people they were bone idle uh, was seen to be good politics. It doesn't play like that anymore. Um, and if Angela Rayner is going to be doing Dominic Raab's uh, greatest gaffes, um, we might yet see uh, questions about whether he thinks he's a feminist or not. Um, and all sorts of other um, interesting things that have come out of his mouth If I, if, if at some point we don't get mention of the sea being closed, I'll give a pound to charity. Uh, in the interest of... Uh, or Dover and Calais. That's yes, another, exactly. You know, that's a, that's that they another, are so very well closely linked for our trade. Uh, in the interest of uh, full disclosure, uh, the authors of this report about uh, Britain being amongst the worst idlers, Dominic Raab, Liz Truss, Pretty Patel, uh, Kwasi Kwarteng, who's now the business secretary, and uh, Chris Skidmore. Uh, they were all part Poor of the, old Chris Skidmore. They, they were part of the, the class of 2010, described as uh, influential members uh, of, uh, of the group, high, high flies uh, at that point. Yeah, Chris Skidmore's the only one of those not to be uh, in the government or indeed in the cabinet. Yep. Never mind, let's go back let's, as we work our way through Dominic Raab's greatest hits. Question two from Angela Rayner. Mr Speaker, still no trade deal. And those were the words, and those were the words of the Deputy Prime Minister in his book, which he wrote alongside the Foreign Secretary, the Home Secretary and the Business Secretary. And his actions, Mr Speaker, speak even louder than those words, because whatever they say... Their political choices have made it harder for working families to get by. So can the Deputy Prime Minister tell us how much his universal credit cut and national insurance hike will take from a worker on £18,000 a year, say a shop worker or a travel agent? 
Well, I, think, I... I think travel agent is probably a... Is that supposed to be a reference to Dominic Raab's Cretan holiday? I think we may be building up to <laughs> some reference to the sea being closed. Right, here we go. Or gazebos on the beach. <laughs> Paddle boarding all round. Uh, let's see if uh, Dominic Raab's got the answer to uh, the impact of the national insurance uh, rise. Say to the uh, right honourable lady is that the UC uplift was always meant to be temporary. We paid the wages of nearly 12 million workers through this pandemic. We we are coming out with rising jobs, rising wages. We would have done none of that if we'd have taken her advice, not come out of lockdown. Labour have got no plan. Our plan is working. Angela Labour's got no plan. Dominic Robb's got no answer to that question, I think, is the main... Well, he's got a slogan, but he didn't deliver it with a great deal of conviction. I mean, the interesting thing, there is some proper politics here, uh, along with the end of the peer show. We are basically... You know, Labour have started running adverts in the red wall seats about the cut in universal credit, um, as the Times reported this morning. And, you know, I think um, this is the sort of thing where they hope they can claw back a few of those votes they lost in 2019 in some of those northern seats. And that universal credit uplift is due to end the beginning of October. I think almost right in the middle of when we were at a Conservative Party conference. As I mentioned, uh, Rishi Sunak is sitting uh, right behind uh, Dominic There's Raab. There's a sort of one smile, isn't there, as Raab goes about his business? Yes, sort of nodding. Uh, I just want to know about the specs. Rishi Sunak's new glasses. If they haven't been focus grouped, I would be amazed. They probably cost about £3,500. <laughs> If, you, if you're if you an optician and you want to get in touch about how much those glasses have cost, uh, 87222, start your message of the word times. Uh, right, this is PMQ's Unpack, where we pour the action to try to explain what is going on. This is question three from Angela Rayner. Mr Speaker, lots of words for I don't know, so let me help him. His government chose to cut the income of a worker on £18,000 a year by over £1,100. And Mr Speaker... That's almost exactly the same as an average annual energy bill. Just as energy prices are ballooning, they've chosen to take the money that could cover a year's worth of bills out of the pockets of working people. The Deputy Prime Minister has said the solution is for people to work harder. So can he tell us how many days a worker on the minimum wage would have to work this year in order to afford a night at a luxury hotel, say in Crete. There we go. Dominic Rob's response. Oh, he's forcing, I think, what you'd call a smile. About taxes and easing the burden on the lowest paid. I'll remind her whenever a Labour Party has gone into government, the economy has nosedived, unemployment has soared. And taxes have gone through the roof. Under this government, we cut income tax, saving the every worker £1,200 each year. We've introduced and extended the national living wage, so full-time workers are £4,000 better off each year. We've doubled uh, the uh, free childcare for working parents, worth up to £5,000 for every child every year. When Labour takes office, unemployment goes up and uh, the economy goes down. Oh, that's a positively retro response. So we got David Cameron used to trot out all of that, didn't he? Uh, well, yes, he's obviously got the figures in front of him and he's reading them out, whereas, I mean, we've got used to the Prime Minister just saying, oh, uh, and moving on. Um, that was a sort of attempt at an actual, you know, here's some statistics. Um, but as you say, at the start of that answer, his... Uh, 
his mouth might have been attempting to smile, but his eyes were not smiling. Um, the uh, the other, I mean, the slightly, re- and, you know, it is down to coronavirus, which was outside the government's uh, control, at least initially. But actually trying to attack the Labour Party for saying, um, uh, every time the Labour Party's got into government, uh, the economy has nosedived. I mean, that happened last year. And it does seem to be bouncing back. Unemployment soared. Unemployment has gone up. It does seem to be coming down again now, uh, though. And uh, taxes have gone through the roof. Well, as we were just discussing, they're putting up national insurance. Uh, yeah, I think... I mean, People are most... more likely to remember all of that than something that may or may not have happened in the mid-noughties or the 1970s. Yeah, I mean, the challenge for the government is to get to the next election and have shown that they've come through the mess that coronavirus has created. Uh, you know, Rishi Sunak is keeping uh, a reasonably tight control of the purse strings, relatively speaking, because he wants to spend a load of money now and then have a little bit of a nest egg that he and Boris Johnson can hand out in tax cuts before the next election. Um and they want to sort of, you know, historically what, what Raab said is correct. Labour governments have always historically left unemployment higher and uh, usually the economy in, in less good shape. Um, that's sometimes the price you pay for being generous with taxpayers' money to the public services. There's always a trade-off in these things. But the argument this government wants to make is this has been forced on us by coronavirus. We need to keep spending to, uh, to sort out those problems. But, you know, uh, ideally what they want to be able to do is say that we're still tax cutters really and when we can afford to put a little bit back in your pockets, oh, just a few months before a general election... There we go. Bob John Collin, the recency bias, and people always remember the most recent thing, uh, kicks in. Andrew's been in touch saying, do we have to listen to this drivel? Heaven forbid, Is that us or them? Heaven forbid that either of these two becomes Prime Minister. One's smooth, the other sounds semi-literate. Not clear if she's talking about you and I or uh, uh, Dominic Raab and uh, uh, Angelina. John's been in touch saying, another session of schoolboys sneering at the government by cheerful chatty Chorley from the comfort of a highly paid job within the Whitehall bubble. Utter waste of time and wholly irrelevant to the vast majority of people outside that weird and artificial world. You're completely wrong, John. I'm not in Whitehall. I'm in London Bridge. Let's go back to the House of Commons. Mr Speaker, he talks about the economy. He doesn't even know how much his own holiday costs. So let me tell him. Let me tell him. A worker, a worker on the minimum wage would need to work an extra 50 days to pay for a single night at his favourite resort. Probably... Probably, Mr Speaker, even more if the sea was open. There we go, everybody's safe. The very same week that the government is cutting universal credit, working people face soaring energy bills. The Prime Minister has said it's just a short-term problem and we'll leave it to the market to fix. So can the Deputy Prime Minister guarantee that no-one will lose their gas or energy supply or be pushed into fuel poverty this winter. Well, the Business Secretary has made very clear that energy supplies will continue, that our number one priority is to protect consumers. Um, I just remind her, though, of her words. Uh, It was in The Guardian in the 11th of May, so it must be true. She said the Labour Party must stop talking down to people. Working-class people don't want a handout. They want opportunities. They're getting those opportunities. Mr Speaker, they're getting those opportunities under a Conservative government. With catch-up tutoring for over two million children this academic year, hundreds of thousands of jobs for young people under our Kickstart scheme, and helping over a million people on long-term unemployment out under the Restart scheme. She's right. Labour talks down to working people under the Conservatives. They get to rise up and fulfil their potential. There we are. He's, I mean, he's not doing a bad job, is he? 
No, I mean he's you know Rob is a is a sort of smooth professional politician. He's got um he's got a lot of knowledge and a lot of answers at his fingertips. He just always sounds just a little bit calculated. Um, and and Angela Rayner is the exact opposite. She's full of emotion and political empathy and. It doesn't always come out in the right order. Um, so it's a real contrast of styles, actually, perhaps even more than it is with Starmer and Johnson. Because <laughs> it always likes to do the other way around. I mean, the interesting thing, actually, the thing that Angela Wayne is managing to do, which Keir Starmer quite often struggles with, is weaving together political attacks with a couple of jokes and facts and figures, mounting an argument in a slightly jolly way, which actually now the House of Commons is full of MPs. Entertaining the troops is part of the job. Very much so. And and that's the art of it. It's, uh, you know, you need to be able to take the mickey out of the other one um, whilst making a political point. And Starmer is a very serious chap. And sometimes his jokes, I mean, you know, he had a few good jokes in an empty chamber. And obviously they landed, you know, with all the grace of um, uh, Zog the dragon. Um, but um, <laughs> but it'd be interesting to see if this performance and the fact that she, you know, Labour people might say she's, she's you know, taking it to Dominic Raab, Ahead of Labour descending on Brighton. Uh, where they will descend on each other. Yes, in exactly. This exactly. And it'll be interesting to see uh, if, if, if her stock rises as a result. Well, let's go back. This is question number five from Angela Wayne. Well, Mr Speaker, I noticed we have a shortage of hot air this week. But just, just as the Prime Minister... Just as the Prime Minister isn't here, but the Deputy Prime Minister is doing his best to shore up supplies. And you know what, Mr Speaker? He talks about opportunities. The Government have axed the Green Homes Grant, scrapped the Zero Carbon Home Standard and lost the storage facility that held three quarters of our gas. Their failures, Mr Speaker, paved the way for this crisis that will hit families and businesses. And as usual, it will be the British people that will have to pay the price. So can the Deputy Prime Minister guarantee that none of the workers employed by the energy companies will end up unemployed because of his government's failures? Well, can I say to the right lady, there's no shortage of hot air on that side of the benches. I mean, it's a joke. It's all right. The business secretary has been absolutely crystal clear. We're seeing the challenge of wholesale gas prices rise uh, all over the world. We will maintain supply this year. The, uh, the business sector has taken targeted action to support the two critical CO2 plants to make sure that not only do we see energy supplies through, but also food distribution. The reality is, for all our cheap political barbs, they have got no plan on that side of the House. If we'd have listened to the Labour Party, we wouldn't have opened up, we wouldn't be bouncing back, jobs wouldn't be rising and wages wouldn't be rising. Angela Ray- I always like it when somebody at PMQ accuses the other side of cheap political barbs, when that is all that they've been doing. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, it's been a very fulsome 19 minutes of political barbs so far. Um, yeah, you know, uh, Rob's doing a professional enough job and he, you know, he managed to think on his feet there. Um, uh, I don't think, you know, the Tories are making a good deal of noise every time he makes a, a reasonable point, which uh, yeah, he'll be encouraged by. Um, I think the interesting thing here is... I don't think there are many Tories sitting there going, uh, I wish uh, it was Dominic Raab doing this every week instead of Boris Johnson. There may be the odd Labour MP thinking, just doing this with a bit more gusto than Keir does. And what about Dominic Raab's position in the Tory party, given that he was 
bumped out of foreign secretary. The, the judgment that if the prime minister thinks he's not up to the job of foreign secretary, why is he still deputy prime minister? Well, what I mean, as I wrote at the weekend, I think what Boris Johnson was trying to do was put Dominic Raab exactly where he wanted him, which was at justice. He's a he's a human rights lawyer by training. He's written a book about it, and Boris Johnson wants him to go and rewrite our human rights laws, and that makes some kind of sense. Um, Raab didn't particularly want to move, and he got the the formal title, uh, uh, which is the equivalent of a political pat on the head. Um, uh, you know, there've been moments today when you sort of think, wonder whether he is much enjoying that role. But um, it, uh, as I say, you know, he's doing what he did when Johnson went into hospital last year. He's doing a perfectly bang up professional job at holding the fort um, that makes nobody pine for him to do it full time. Which, which is, actually is exactly what his job is. It's exactly, but it also is exactly and what Boris Johnson, Johnson would want. would be very happy for him. You wouldn't want to give the job to someone who's going to do it better. No. Um, which is why Michael Gove has never been uh, Deputy Prime Minister, <laughs> because he would, you know, I mean, if you remember that speech he gave uh, at the uh, no-confidence vote um, back in 2019, which was, you know, one of the most rambunctious displays of the dispatch box <laughs> any of us have seen, um, Boris Johnson wouldn't have wanted that standing in for him on a Wednesday. Exactly. He wants something people might start that to think, is, effect is yeah, effective, yeah. is not going to cause any problems, but is certainly not going to have people looking over their shoulder and going, oh, what might have been. Uh, let's go back then. This is the, the, what the peroration. Uh, this is when uh, they'll both be grappling for their uh, social media clips. Uh, question number six from uh, Standing, Angela Rayner. Mr Speaker, maybe he should go back to his sun lounge and let me take over. Because the truth is, the truth is, Mr Speaker, they were warned about the problems that we face and the energy crisis that we face. And there we have it, absolutely nothing to help the people up and down the country who work in themselves to the ground and still struggling to make ends meet. This is a Conservative Party that does not care about working people. Families... Families, Mr Speaker, across the country are worried about heating their homes yep. while he's complaining about having to share his 115-room taxpayer-funded mansion with the Foreign Secretary. <laughs> just as, Mr Speaker, just as the truth hurts, doesn't it? Just as his government are making choices that are making working families' lives harder. A typical family, Mr Speaker, are facing a tough winter this year. Universal credit down a thousand quid, rent up a hundred and fifty quid, gas bills up a hundred and fifty quid, taxes up and food prices are soaring. Working people will have to choose whether to feed their kids or heat their homes. The choice for the Deputy Prime Minister is will he make their lives easier or harder? So what will he choose, Mr Speaker? Will the government cancel the universal credit cut. That's quite a lot to unpack uh, there. So the Chevening story that she was explaining, give us the background of that, Tim Shipper. Uh, well, Raab was the Foreign Secretary, and the Foreign Secretary traditionally gets Chevening. Though Chevening has also been held by the Deputy Prime Minister, because Nick Clegg had it when he was Deputy Prime Minister. He is no longer Foreign Secretary. Liz Truss now is. Funnily enough, she wants Chevening, and he's like, well, I'm the Deputy Prime Minister, so I want it as well. I suspect they'll be made to share it. 
one can only imagine the house party <laughs> that would that would undergo you know if if we had friends of trust and friends of rab gathering i would imagine it'd be like one of those slightly awkward discos when you were growing up where all the boys stand around the outside while the girls are going a bit mental around their handbags in the middle of the dance floor. you get the feeling they might have to have some sort of awkward sort of um uh, uh timeshare spreadsheet where one of them books it knowing that the other one can't uh, can't be there we had lisa nandy who's obviously the shadow fod secretary uh she was on the show in uh, Chorley on Friday and we asked her about this and she said she'd already been texting Angela Rayner and they were planning big joint parties. So they were more than happy to share uh, this evening. Um, not that they're measuring the curtains or anything, but um, didn't, wasn't it, which was the one that Boris Johnson, David Davies and Liam Fox had to share? Um, that was also Chevening. Was that Chevening? Yes. That was in the Theresa May area when the three Brexiteers, all in bump beds. Yes. Yeah. David Davies kept going around telling people that he didn't care and he wasn't interested, uh, but spent a lot of time talking to journalists about whether or not the other one was stealing the key from the other. <laughs> with the 115 rooms, they could probably sort themselves out. Uh, on the, um, the broader point, we finally got the sort of the, the convincing, uh, sort of the, the point that I suspect Angela Rayner will be posting on, on Twitter imminently. Uh, will they cancel um, the, uh, the, the cut to universal credit? Uh, yes. I mean, that's the, politi- that's, that's the only meaningful bit of politics in this, apart from... You know, uh, what is in Angela Rayner's, you know, punchy fashion, a quite convincing, you know, the Tories don't care about working people. And and when she says it, you sort of think that Labour maybe do. And I think Starmer's problem has been convincing a lot of his own former voters that that his Labour Party does. And when they hear it from Angela Rayner, I think they're more likely to be persuaded. Very good. So that was uh, Angela Rayner's uh, final uh, shot. Uh, Let's hear how Dominic Barr responded. Can I say to the right honourable lady, she should check her facts because Chevening is funded by a charity, not a penny of taxpayers' money. <laughs> let me also tell not quite her the that, that <laughs> let me also tell her the most disastrous thing for energy bills of hard-working people across this country would be to follow Labour's plan to nationalise the energy companies, which the CBI say would cost as much as £2,000 on bills. Mr Speaker, this government's the one taking action to take the country forward with a plan for the NHS, a plan for Covid, and our plan is working. Employment up, job vacancies up, wages up. If we'd have listened to the party opposite, we would never have come out of lockdown. We're the ones taking, we're the ones taking the difficult decisions, getting on with the job, and our plan is working. And that uh, brings us to the end of the main exchanges of PMQs unpacked. Uh, Dominic Raab there, um, uh, obviously standing in for Boris Johnson, who's still in uh, America. Uh, just on that question of the, the privatising energy companies, I've just looked, because I do remember this, this was actually from 2017. A poll then uh, by YouGov found 53% of people supported the idea of nationalising energy Well, this companies. was always the thing with a lot of Jeremy Corbyn's policies, when he was uh, basically saying the state should buy everything. Um, uh, a lot of it was hugely popular. Um, the problem Labour had was that when you did 10 or 12 of these policies instead of just one or two, um, people wondered where the money was coming from. Um, but individually, a lot of these things are quite popular. So it's always been slightly dodgy terrain for the Tories. Um, but what they would, you know, what Rob did there is, that, you know, a line that Johnson's been using, you know, we've got a plan and it's working. No one really knows quite what the plan is. But Linton Crosby, who is the sort of former Tory election guru, who is back in Britain and he's back around Boris Johnson's dinner table, 
you need a plan, Boris, is what he tells him. You need to tell people you've got a plan. David Cameron used to have a plan for, you know... The long-term economic... The long-term economic plan. Nobody knew what it was, including David Cameron, but people were reassured that there was such a thing. But it got longer and longer, famously, because it was, it, was it was initially just an economic plan to abolish the deficit in one parliament, and then it became a long-term economic plan because... It took slightly longer than they expected. Uh, Boris Johnson did this. Linton Crosby made him do it when he was London mayor. When he was getting re-elected, I think Boris Johnson had a nine-point plan for London. I once asked him what the nine points were, and he managed to get four of them out uh, <laughs> before scratching his head and going, uh, mm, uh, how about some food? You know? It's really interesting, that. It's really interesting, that. And that gives us a real insight into what, uh, how the the politics of the next couple of years and the run-up to the election uh, will, will pan out. On the big question that everyone is talking about... Um, uh, Rishi Sunak's glasses. A Treasury source has been in touch to say these, they are not new, but they. But he often wears his other ones, so he's got more than one pair. Apparently, these are his serious thinking glasses. Is that really the kind of spin that um, <laughs> we're paying for? <laughs> maybe we're not paying for it, like Chevening, which is a maybe, trust. Maybe a charity is dealing yes, with maybe the, a charity uh, supply the glasses. Supply of the glasses. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.